Hello there and welcome to The Loop Podcast. I am Liam Bartholomew, VP of Marketing at Cognizant, and I'm here interviewing Bill uh, Masaitis, ex-Slack, Salesforce and Zendesk, and now Marketing Advisor and Board Member. Um, so great to have you, Bill. Um, you've had a super interesting career, so we're really excited to, to speak to you um, in some really great companies. Um, so we'd just love for you to be able to give our listeners some context on uh, and a rundown of all of your experience up to this point um, and, and yeah, what you've been up to. Yeah. So first off, thanks for having me. Always great to be here. Love chatting with fellow marketers. So uh, and we're going to talk about some exciting stuff here. My background, I've done about half B2C, half B2B. Uh, I did my first startup right out of college, uh, had absolutely no capital, had absolutely no idea that there were VCs that would give you money. And in a way, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to be very uh, diligent and efficient with how to grow a company. Uh, we had an online startup. It was in the ranking and tournament space. We to 10 million members. We were profitable, early SaaS subscription model. Um, so I learned a ton there about viral marketing, SEO inbound. Um, spent the next 10 years working for large media companies. So uh, Fox Sports, uh, IGN Entertainment, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, just had a ton of fun like growing those companies, building those brands. Uh, and then went over to the B2B side. So, you know, as you had mentioned, uh, basically Salesforce, uh, Zendesk, and Slack, all in leadership, CMO, CRO type roles. Uh, and then after that, uh, I had a, you know, several exits and felt really fortunate and just said, hey, how can I kind of give back? And so now I work with startups and help them grow as a, a board advisor. So it's super fun and rewarding for me. Awesome. And in that, in, I, I've got questions from that straight away. Uh, so <laughs> at the startups you work with now, are you, are you pre predominantly on B2C or B2B or both? And like, yeah. I, I really helped out. Um, my, my focus right now is B2B SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's so many great uh, founders and startups out there, you know, a lot of them too, like I work with are all over the world. I've worked with ones in Japan and South Africa and Israel and Brazil. Um, there is great SaaS companies everywhere, uh, but they're all looking in how do they grow more efficiently? Um, how do they build brands? How do they target the enterprise? I know a lot of topics we're going to talk about today. So I just try to use a lot of the operating experience I had and really try to infuse both the best tactics I had from the B2C side and the B2B. Yeah. And I suppose that much interest in us with a lot of people we're interested in What's your, and, and people posit this all the time, but how do you perceive the difference between sort of like B2C and B2B marketing and where can either side learn from each other? I'm kind of, yeah, interested in yeah. myself. It, it's super fun. And I think there's a lot of preconceptions out there about um, what works, quote unquote, <laughs> works in B2B, uh, what doesn't. You know, one thing I found is that at the end of the day, people are people. You know, we all... Everyone listening to, this pro listening to this podcast probably has a product that they love, right? And they're super passionate about and they tell others about and they love that brand. And people love brands regardless of their B2B, B2C. So what, I, you know, if you kind of think philosophically about it, like B2B, especially for SaaS, um, B2C folks kind of do that, right? They don't have a sales team, right? They are the sales team. They have to go out there and market and advertise and nurture and sell. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, like B2C, folks make good b2b marketers especially when they're targeting the smb space you know as you move up market the dynamics change a little bit but a lot of the tactics still work really well um probably the biggest misconception that i run into is i'm a big advocate of bringing some personality to your brand you know that could be through your editorial tone and voice that could be through your visual identity but a lot of people think like when you go to the enterprise you have to be boring you have to speak in acronyms you have to you know, play everything super, super conservatively. And I, and I haven't found that the case. In, in fact, if anything, I found 
that hurts companies because usually the dynamics of Silicon Valley is whenever you have success as a, as a company, the VCs will fund five other ones that look like you, right? And so pretty soon if everyone's kind of acting the same and looking the same, um, there's no differentiation. And so you really have to think about like, hey, how can we be unique? And I found that that's something that works. You know, enterprise companies still love brands that are fun and different, right? It doesn't mean you have to be boring. So that's maybe a couple of things that I've noticed between them. Yeah, I no, I totally agree. And we, we've been preaching about this recently. There's this uh, a lot. Um, is that, you know, like, I think boring just means that you end up fading into the background. And then so many, there's so much B2B marketing out there that doesn't elicit any kind of emotion, I think, playing into this, like, safety net that you've got to be logical because, you know, um, the, the idea that, oh, no one gets fired for, for buying a, you know, a can of Coke that, <laughs> you know, they do for buying software. And therefore, we've got to be boring and logical. But um, actually, that's just not true at all. And, like, you, emotion plays a part in everything being memorable yeah. and, and you sticking out from the crowd and not actually just to your customers but also to the vcs themselves as well so um absolutely yeah totally agree with that um but that's interesting to know as well and yeah and um and, and mate yeah just shows that there isn't necessarily that much difference i suppose between um bc b2b really um we, we maybe create it ourselves um <laughs> and so, yeah, it seems to us that you have uh, the eye for identifying strategies that sort of propel businesses forward um, toward being uh, to, uh, towards being some of the fastest growing SaaS businesses out there. So we'd love to just get your sort of general philosophy and outlook on marketing. And I suppose also how that sort of like changed over your career, like have how how you started and how you'd advise uh, customers today. Is, is Has that changed and, and what have you learned? along the way? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I probably start with is for a lot of folks in marketing, um, the brand is at the heart. And one of the ways that I think about the brand is the brand is the sum of every single interaction that someone has with your company. And when you kind of look at it from that viewpoint, what you find out is that, hey, our brand is being shaped by their interaction on the website. Our brand is being shaped by their interaction with sales. Our brand is being shaped by um, the marketing that they receive, the ads that they receive, the support that they receive, you know, the interaction they had with legal, the interaction they had, you know, signing up for the product, using the product. Like it's all these little micro interactions. And so then if you go, if you take a step back as a marketer and you go, all right, well, I want to try to like optimize that brand. I want to try to build a brand, you really have to think about, well, this is a much larger journey that I need to be a part of. <clears throat> you know, most B2B marketers that I've worked with, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, they're often relegated or forced to just say, look, your only goal in life is just new leads, right? New leads to hand off the sales, especially if you're in B2B. But, you know, what I've come to, you know, my, my thinking has evolved is to say, like, hey, marketing has an impact in many areas of this customer lifecycle journey, right? It's not just getting people aware of you, right? That's another part, brand awareness and A to recall, on a recall sentiment, all those brand metrics. It's getting people interested in moving forward, uh, nurturing them, getting to the lead, the MQL, maybe it's to a PQL, right? Maybe your product qualified, maybe you have a little PLG element to you. And then actually once they're starting to use the product, can marketing help them understand it better? Can they make them have a fun time using it? Can they make them smile and hit some Easter eggs? 
And then, you know, as the journey evolves, can marketing help them expand as a business and try different products and maybe move to different plans, right? Like it's this really long holistic journey where you end up interacting with a lot of different teams. You end up interacting with product and sales and legal and support. Um, and it's in your interest to make sure that these are great experiences because as we all know one of the best ways to grow is word of mouth. And you tend to get a high word of mouth when people have great experiences. They tend to recommend you, right? But if all these other teams are maybe polluting those experiences, you know, you're never going to get that word of mouth. And you can brute force growth, right? You can buy a lot of ads. You can do a lot of different things there. But, um, but it matters. The brand matters. That experience matters. So that's kind of really, I've uh, really evolved my thinking is that marketing needs to think about not just leads. They need to think about the awareness. They need to think about bringing people in, educating them, nurturing them getting them to expand um, and use a different set of tactics to to achieve that. And I suppose, interestingly there, do you have like uh, tactics or like a playbook and I suppose getting all of those other functions on board to sort of meet that, mark that you know, meet marketing where you need them to be to be able to provide that experience? So like, have you, like over your, your years of like working in different teams, have you sort of, do you have like, sort of way that or playbook that you would advise or roll that out yeah a couple things that i've seen work really well are one at the board level at the executive level maybe try out some more shared metrics right it's very common for sales to have a totally different metric than marketing which has a totally different medic than product um and all these teams are very different in almost competing metrics uh it's like we had a lot of shared metrics um, you know, the sales and the marketing team and success team, we all shared in the same metric. Uh, I was CRO at that point and I managed all those teams that made it a little easier. I said, here's your metric. <laughs> but I think shared metrics help, right? Um, the second thing I'd say is think about think about what kind of metric you want. That's really, really important, right? Um, are, do you just have funnel metrics? Do you have awareness metrics? Do you have experience metrics, right? Like, I think, again, if you think of the brand, some of all these interactions, you want to provide a great experience. Well, you should measure it. You can you can measure CSAT. You can measure net promoter score. You can measure small different interactions in the journey. So it's like when I was there, one of the things we did is we did have sales. Some people didn't think we had sales. We had sales. But we would actually uh, survey people after they interacted with a salesperson and go, hey, Alyssa was your account executive. How helpful was she? How responsive was she? How knowledgeable about the product was she? Not just... Did they promise you a bunch of stuff and you bought it? But you know, were they really helpful? Were they consultative? Um, you can measure that. You can measure, you know, how quickly your homepage loads. Right, that's a pretty bad experience if it takes five seconds on mobile for your page to load. You can measure how simple was the product onboarding experience. Right, when someone went in there for the first time, how simple was it? You know, you just survey those folks like, hey, how simple is that? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Right? Okay, ninety-three percent say it's a thumbs up. We want to get to ninety-six percent. Whatever it is. Um, so I think like having shared metrics and having metrics that maybe go beyond the traditional funnel metrics. So MQL pipe, you know, closed revenue, um, make a big difference. If you're thinking about like, how do you optimize that overall brand and making sure people have uh, great interactions with you? Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. I think one of the, um, one of the things we, that I think is one of the best things we did with the beginning was having, uh, you know, not measuring ourselves on. MQLs are like leads here at like the marketing team and making sure that we are aligned with sales on pipeline and revenue. Um, and that just made yep. that sales and marketing relationship like 10 times easier than, than at other companies just because 
we just have the same goal. So it's, you know, you yeah, can... everyone's on the same team, right? Yeah. It makes it, it makes a huge difference. Right. And I think like, that's such an easy one, right. For sales and marketing mm-hmm. is just go, Hey, let's just like have the same metric, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Um, I even think like if, if, even when you start leaning into like POG type companies, then you even start opening up things like, you know, daily active users, product qualified leads. Um, but again, this idea that I think, especially in online and in SaaS, that these companies, um, tend to separate all, all these teams. There's a distinct marketing team and a distinct sales team and a distinct product team. Well, the user doesn't know that. They're just going through one journey, right? And when all these teams work together to optimize that journey, whether it's a revenue metric, whether it's an experience metric, whether it's like a PLG type metric, you tend to get a much better unified journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it's true, like there's so much, so much stuff that I do and like say when like reminding uh, people in the company, it's like, are we doing this for the customer or are we doing this because it fits our weird internal system or makes it easier for us? Like, just because it's going to be difficult for us, if it's going to be better for the customer, then that's what we should do. Like, um, yeah. Absolutely, Liam. It's such a great point, right? And I see that all the time. I mean, I, I was actually kind of bummed. Like, I'm usually pretty, like, I, I, I love Amazon. We buy way too much stuff on Amazon <laughs> that are sitting outside of our house. And I and normally I'd read a lot about Jeff Bezos and how he's very customer centric. Um, and I went, I was doing a return. We bought something for holidays, some lights that didn't work. And I sent it back and I went to the return page. You know, I bought it on my credit card and they had like two options. And like it was a much smaller option that didn't even have like a circle around it that you could like choose, which was just refunded back on my credit card. Right. Like it defaulted to. Amazon store credits and then it had another Amazon type thing. And then like it was like it was hidden that you could just get a refund back to your own credit card. And I'm like the only like I know what happened. Someone was like, how can we make more money? How can we kind of screw the customer? Oh, if, if we if we you know default it and make it do it so they only get credit, that means they have to spend money with us. It was like the antithesis of a customer centric decision, right? Like nobody sat there and said, hey, how is this good for the customer? Right. We're just kind of screwing them over a little bit. Um, so that was disappointing to see, but I think it happens a lot, right? Like, you know, I, I love the idea of every meeting you keep an open seat for the customer at the end of the meeting, you're like, Hey, did we optimize around our own internal efficiencies or did we optimize around what the customer would want? Mm -hmm. Um, it, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Mm hundred percent. Um, so something that we really wanted to ask you about, because it's we have a little bit of a, a vested interest ourselves. Um, <laughs> one of your many successes is with Zentesk and, and taking them to IPO um, and growing revenues, I think, with 362% whilst also moving up market. Um, and I think that's the bit that we're really interested in. Also we're doing the same Cognizant and trying to move up market to um, into that sort of enterprise um, segment. Yeah. So... I kind of want to know what did it involve to to do this uh, and to have all that success? And is there anything that you would particularly attribute to to the success you had at Zendesk? Yeah, sure. So as background, when I was Zendesk, I joined maybe around 65 people, mm-hmm. um, very small marketing team at the time. I kind of built up that team, you know, mostly from scratch. And Zendesk at that time was prim- primarily SMB. Right. Um, And I think it is kind of a natural evolution, especially for companies that start in SMB is to move up market. Um, Now, I will say I I like the SMB market. I I generally when I work with companies, I advise them don't abandon it. Um, Working with the SMB 
segment forces your product to be easy to use. It forces it to be um, simple. Um, it forces it to get pretty good value pretty quickly, right? Um, and those are all good things as you move into the enterprise. You can't cover it up with customer success or support or sell everything, you know, via salesperson. The unit economics just don't work. Um, but I would say, like, you know, as you start to go into the enterprise, um, one, it doesn't mean that, hey, you have to use the very traditional 30-year-old set of tactics. It doesn't just mean you hire a massive outbound sales team and cold call in and, you know, buy steak dinners <laughs> and run massive events. Like, those you know, those can work, but they're very expensive ways to grow. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think especially in the last year or two, um, you know, there's been much more focus on capital efficiency and thinking about how you grow in an efficient way. So, you know, a couple of things that we did is like one, like really map out the personas, right? So as you move up market, you're going to have usually multiple stakeholders that are going to be part of that, uh, buying decision process, right? You'll have you know, the, uh, the business owner, you'll have kind of line of business, you will have um, legal, IT, you know, you're going to go governance, you're going to go through just a lot of different stakeholders, right? So you really have to map out what are their pain points? What are they going to, um, we're going to use? Uh, once you realize that, hey, there's five or six people, you're going to have to think about how do we uh, nurture and educate all of them, right? It's not like you're just going after one buyer, which a lot of times is the case in SMB. Um, you also find that like, you know, mid-market enterprise, they move much slower. So the average, you know, uh, deal length, you start to get into like six months, nine months a year, depending on how far you're going up market and what your, your ASP is. Um, so you kind of have to view these as journeys, right? And, and I found like that was really helpful. So at Zendesk, like for instance, we created a lot of content. I was big on content. I came from B2C. I knew how to create content. I knew how to optimize it in SEO, but I also wanted to nurture people. So if you kind of understand that like, hey, people are going to have 20, 30, 40 interactions with you over the course of six months, well, you take a different tactic, right? You're not just going to go create one ad and go and just hit them with the same ad for six months. You're going to think about how do we nurture them? How do we educate them about the space, right? Like classic top of funnel, um, you know, what's possible? What, is, what even is our space? Like, how do we define it? Then you're going to go into a little bit more like, hey, you know, this is us as a company, right? Um, here's what we do, here's our offerings, and you start showing like, here's customer examples, here's pricing, right? But you have to go through a very slow education and nurturing process. And so uh, content was really big for us. And, and good content, I always said like our litmus test was for top of funnel content, I didn't even want to mention Zendesk at the time. You know, I wanted them to um, really just get to know the space and what's possible. Like one of our best performing pieces of content was uh, 10 interview questions for hiring great customer support agents. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it got so much traffic that introduced them, you know, to us. And then we would retarget them, feed them more content, slowly educate them. Um, I think that's big. Uh, you know, obviously there are things like ABM, which I know we'll talk about a little bit. But, you know, ABM for me is just basically targeting marketing and sales working together. Right. And that could be through, you know, reverse IP, then targeting dynamic homepage, custom content, like, you know, sending customized gifts to them. There's a lot of things you can do there. Um I think like leveraging PLG is big too, like product-led growth. A lot of times SMBs will have a little bit of PLG in them. And so, you know, how do you take the best elements into the enterprise? So that could be more of like a land and expand, seed and grow. We saw that a lot with Zendesk and uh, Slack, uh, which I also worked at where you would get small deployments within a company, but then how do you get it to expand and, you know, grow versus just trying to go top down and do a wall-to-wall -wall deal, which takes 
eons to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you have things like a product qualified lead versus just a marketing qualified lead, you know, trying to get them just using the product, a lot of pricing and packaging differences. So uh, I'm a big fan of freemium. Um, I know it's kind of a controversial topic, but I've seen it work really well, especially as you're going into the enterprise, because mm-hmm. again, it allows you to get those instances of people using them. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I'd say like the, the, the product functionality um, needs to change a little bit and not really the actual uh not really the actual user interface and the features, but more the requirements. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is like enterprises need things like single sign-on. They need a 99.99% uptime. They need to have SLAs. They need to have, you know, provisioning and deprovisioning, um, you know, consolidated billing, admin controls. Those aren't really things that users see, but that enterprises need, right? And so how you price and package makes a big difference too. I was a big fan of uh, basically letting if the features all the plans would have access to, but those enterprise requirements only, you know, had to be in a certain higher plan to get those, which an enterprise really did need. Um, so there's a lot of nuances to it. There's a lot of different strategies, but those are some top level tactics that I used. Yeah. I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to listen to that all back. Cause it was actually so helpful. <laughs> uh, and also I love that you started with the, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go in with uh, the expensive dinners and huge outbound teams and like and, and events and stuff because that's like the first thing that often gets recommended and thrown at you. Uh, but I know there's like a million different ways of doing it. Um, and I also love the I love the freemium side. I think and PLG growth into it. Like I think a lot of times, sometimes as well. And and it, there's so many use cases where this isn't true. But I do think a lot of people still think that that will still help you acquire and be better in SMB than it will enterprise. But actually that whole land and expand and, and like, yeah, a, um, a PLG, a freemium motion, PLG motion with, with like a supported, um, sales motion behind it. A marketing motion, uh, is obviously, well, as you say, from Slack, just super effective and yeah. So super interesting, uh, uh, yeah, loved all of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, on the freemium side, it's it's very controversial because I think a lot of sales folks get very worried, right? Hey, there's a free plan. How do how the heck do I sell something when there's a free version available, right? Um, or they get a lot of sales folks sometimes get worried like, hey, we're going to do high velocity buying, right? Like, what does that mean to my quota, my credit? Um, but what I've really found is that so you have a lot of inertia against it, right? A lot of people are like, whoa, we haven't done this. Or again, let's run events. I've done a lot of events that seem to work. Um, didn't really maybe see the price tag of it, but very expensive way to grow. Um, but you know what I found is that freemium, what it really does is, is a key PLG concept is it reduces friction, mm-hmm. right? It allows people to get into the product much faster. You reduce the pricing friction from it. And again, you can, if you're very calculated and smart, um, like I don't like crippleware versions of free freemium. I, I like very full functioning for the user. Let the user get in and experience it and have all this control. Um, but what you'll quickly find is it grows in the enterprise. All those different stakeholders I talked about earlier, you want to give them carrots. Mm-hmm. So the IT guy, right? You want to have pro, you know automated provisioning and deprovisioning, right? What that means is like, hey, when someone joins the tool, uh, they automatically get uh, onboarded onto it. Or when they leave the company, you, you take off their access. If you're Slack, you don't want to have someone that, <laughs> you know, you just fired and they still have access to, you know, all your company uh, messages, right? Um, if you're in, you know, IT, you also maybe you want to have a 99.99% uptime. Like that's really important, right? Or if you're in, you know, procurement, you want to have consolidated billing. You don't want to have 27 different instances of Slack and them all sending you a different bill. 
you want to have consolidated security controls, right? You want to make sure they all have uh, the right SSO, two-factor login, whatever it is. Those are all things that users don't get, but you need as an enterprise, uh, which is you know really important. So I think ultimately, like you have to think about like not just doing premium, but like what are the nuances it? And I spend a lot of time when I work with different companies on the pricing and packaging element. It's one of the it's literally one of the few things that can have a massive step function in their growth. Um, both on the monetization side and the growth side. And if you if you do it in the w- right way, use threshold upgrade drivers, which is a whole nother concept, um, you can have a, a, a lot of success. Yeah, amazing. Um, and actually on this then, I suppose, and this this will also be helpful for us, uh, so what's, what do you think a business needs to have in place uh, before targeting uh, large accounts and trying to go ent- enterprise? Um, and how might you identify a business ready to take on this challenge? Uh I'm a big, you know, I'm a big SaaS believer. If I was a VC, I would just invest where there's pain, mm-hmm. right? Like, are, are you solving pain, right? Are you solving um, pain that an enterprise would have? If you are, then great, go do it, right? Um, a lot of times, like, I think we we get ahead of ourselves. There's this vicious cycle that happens where when you start getting an enterprise and you go, oh, you know, we would have closed this deal if only we had this feature, right? We needed this feature to, to close this deal. And oh, okay, we build it and then we had this feature. Oh, if only we had this feature, we could have closed this deal, right? And you end up getting this really complex, bloated, you know, software that is really hard to use, frustrates people. The only way they will buy it is if, you know, they don't buy it. The users don't buy it. <laughs> someone convinced someone higher up to, to buy it and bought them steak dinners. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about like a lot of times SMBs have a much more simple, beautifully elegant solution. We talked about that a lot at Zendesk, like beautifully simple, this idea of like infusing the brand into the product, but also making it really simple and intuitive to go out and use. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, you're probably more ready for enterprise like in the current state than you may think you are, right? You don't need to build a thousand different things. Now, what I would say is like, hey, when you start getting some penetration in the price, then you want to start thinking with pricing and packaging standpoint, what we just talked about. Do you have all those things? Do you can you start building the SSO? Can you start building the consolidated, you know, billing, the admin controls, the provisioning, the deprovisioning, like those type of things? Like, can you have an SLA where you can achieve that, you know, four or five figure 99% uptime? Um, but I, I think from just the standpoint of like, can we offer value? That's that's you know, a lot of times you can, you know, that the pain points that SMBs have a lot of times are the pain points that enterprises have. Um, and, and I think it's actually good in a way, like it's much easier. I've worked with a lot of companies that start off an SMB and move up to enterprise. That's a much easier motion to manage than they've started off an enterprise and now they want to move down to the SMB. Like that's really difficult. Um, it's very difficult for them to make a really simple, easy to use software. It's very difficult for them to think that they're just going to use salespeople to sell to SMBs. Like the unit economics just don't work. Um, there's a lot you have to change. So, uh, you know, ultimately, I'd just say like, hey, it's probably you know sooner than uh, you know you're probably ready sooner than you think you are, and you know just just to go for it and, and you know start using it in a very calculated way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense that it's easier to add bells and whistles, make th- something more complicated, secure uh, than it is to take something extremely built for like for a big complex beast like an enterprise and then strip it down so that it's a, like SMB ready suitable and like affordable and one other thing i'll just add to that is that most enterprises will use five percent of your functionality yeah. 
like I can't even tell you how many times you're talking about Zendesk. I would we did run some events. I would go to these events. Events aren't all bad. I'm 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 being a little harsh <laughs> on them, but um we would have a we would have a session where we would go, hey, we're gonna talk to you about new features that are coming out, you know. Um and then it, before that, we would ask them, go, hey, well, what what features do you want to see? And inevitably, we would always have someone raise their hand to ask for a feature that we already that already existed, you know, that they just didn't know about. And so, like, we like to think, like, oh, our users are going to use all these seventeen different things. They don't. They use one or two of them, you know. And and, and I've even seen research that SMBs use more of the features than enterprises do, um, which sounds maybe counterintuitive, but that's often the case. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you're SMBs that have a beautifully simple product. You're in a great position, you know, to move up market. I can believe that actually about SMBs. I think I don't know. I feel like enterprise is always stuck in a an emotion <laughs> of like how they do things. Uh, this is this is completely just my opinion. So I have nothing to <laughs> nothing to back this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey, yeah, guys, I feel like yeah, that intuition. You have more. You have a little bit more flexibility in S in an SMB to sort of like often try new things like and and move around so therefore you're going to take up every last feature that you're offered <laughs> and can deal with and can use um but yeah that's a, totally that's a point um so when it comes to enterprise marketing abm everyone loves it <laughs> everyone is often talked about um i'd love to yeah get your your opinion on on abm and is it something that you've used when targeting uh larger accounts and going enterprise um and do you have like a specific view and strategy on, on how you do that? Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of ABM. Um, I, I think a couple things, like one, if we kind of rewind a little bit, the journey of a larger enterprise learning about and buying your product uh, is going to go through um, multiple different uh, companies, multiple different stakeholders, right? And it's not just going to be, you know, marketing goes out, researches and creates a lead. There's going to be a time where they hand it off, right, to sales. And, and historically, that's how it's worked, where they just do a handoff, handoff to sales. But really, what you end up seeing is that um, marketing and sales, like it's just the same journey, right? And, and that's really what ABM for me is all about, is that ABM says, hey, marketing and sales, let's work together. And how can we create some very customized, targeted uh, journeys towards very specific companies. And, and that's different than like a marketing or sales just going, we're just going to do shotgun approach and go really broad and, you know, try to hit tons and tons of people. You know, when you do ABM really successfully, a lot of times what you do is you'll say, hey, we want to target a specific vertical where we think we already have good success, right? Like this is a great vertical for us. Like the product market fits perfect. Um, we really want to dominate it. So you might just go like, all right, let's come up with the top 10 companies in that vertical. Who are the biggest companies? You know, we're targeting enterprises. Okay, we have three of them. Let's get the other seven. So let's go and create how do marketing and sales work together via ABM to very to deliver a very targeted yet nurturing journey to all those multiple stakeholders. Now, there's a lot of different elements of ABM, right? Like, so one thing we did, like when we were Zendesk, is we had we would use um, reverse IP and DNS. And basically when they would arrive on the homepage, um, the, the, the homepage would automatically change to that specific company, right? Like let's show you IBM, how Zendesk can deliver, you know, better support. Um, or you could literally do dynamic ads that are targeted at individuals, you know, that just again, one-to-one -one targeting, you do content that you send to them. Sales again, can, um, work with marketing to target key individuals, 
You can do, you know, customize uh, gifts that you send to them that are, again, just for those ones. You can do smaller events just for those companies. Uh, but ultimately, the idea is that, hey, marketing and sales are using a rifle. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> Maybe a fishing pole? Yeah. I don't have some violence. Um, <laughs> they're, they're going after a very specific fish, right? And they're both working together. And, and not only that, not just even when you get the lead, marketing doesn't just go, hey, we're done. You still think like, hey, how can we nurture these people? right um to get them to actually buy and again like use content you know use all these different tools in your toolbox and then i'd even argue abm should extend beyond that right like if you have some some really prime uh good customers that are ready to expand like hey well again how can marketing and sales work together now, maybe that's marketing and customer success depending on how you've aligned your you know your sales responsibilities post sale but you know they can work together to make that happen um and so, you know, I, I think ABM can be very, you know, effective. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the it's the antithesis of just putting out a, a billboard ad, right, on a on a highway. It's like you're actually saying, hey, we want to get super super targeted, and we want to really hit those. Like, uh, I used to read like these brand recall studies, and they would say, hey, for someone to achieve active recall, they had to have at least like it was like thirty impressions, right? And so you kind of like most marketing you hit very shallow right like maybe someone's heard about you one or two times but you know with abm the idea is like you just concentrate it like everyone at that company or at least those five stakeholders have just they see you no matter where they go they're getting you know where that's physical stuff where that's online you know they're constantly seeing your brand um and they're educating you about the space and i think that gets you really effective close rates and it allows you to you know move forward in a more effective way mm -hmm. yeah it's really about i love that this is about it's so much of it is about this alignment between sales and marketing, creating this sort of all bound motion, really. Um, and and I suppose that's the bit that I find really interesting with like enterprise and ABM is that you've got to get everyone together internally singing from the same hip sheet, yeah. and then you need to somehow coordinate that to be able to show that outwardly to then multiple stakeholders in the enterprise where you're actually completely multi-threading that account and, and each of those different people who are important at that like making that decision at that company whereas when we when we've found it ourselves with like smb you just need to convince one person <laughs> and an enterprise yeah. got to convince, i don't know probably like 20 now <laughs> yeah and you know one other thing i'd say in that i think is really important is the attribution side mm -hmm. so i'm a big believer in attribution attribution basically just tells you like what's working what's not and there's a lot of good tech out there a really simple way to, to, to show the impact that ABM has is to don't do it to everyone. So in other words, like maybe you maybe you're targeting two verticals, right? Vertical A and vertical B. Vertical A, do your ABM strategy. You know, do targeted ads, customize homepage, customize content, you know, sales and marketing working together on all these accounts. Vertical B, don't do that. <laughs> do nothing to that. Just do your normal marketing, right? That you would normally do. And then, you know, at the end of six months or whatever it is, you know, measure the differences. Go, okay, what was our close rate for these two different groups? You know, what was the average ASP? Um, you know, did they expand faster? Did they have a higher net promoter score? What's their brand loyalty? You know, whatever metrics you're using here, like that's a really simple way to go, whoa. Like, actually, this works really well. We should invest more in it. Because a lot of this stuff, like, you know, as marketers, Liam, we're like, of course, yeah, like, it works. Like, we know this stuff works. But, like, really, like, what you're doing is the larger issue is you need to convince all these other internal stakeholders. You need to convince the CFO, the CEO, mm -hmm. you know, the head of sales, the head of product. You need to convince, 
you know, four or five board members who are skeptical that think you're just wasting money in marketing, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, it really helps to have that data um, to give you then the ammo to do further investments, whether that's in, you know, ABM, PLG, you know, investing in your brand, whatever it is. But I found like the data is really important and attribution and, and how you get it is a, a really important part of it. Awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit uh, gutted that I have to probably come to an end on this conversation, but uh, <laughs> we do like to, to finish with uh, one question um, with everyone, which is based on, yeah. I suppose, what you're observing in the marketing world at the minute, um, what would you advise marketers to start doing and what would you advise them to now stop doing? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you know, a couple of things I'd just say one, like, hey, if you're a marketer, like, hey, I have a lot of empathy. It is a very hard job. Um, it's a fun job, but it's a hard job because everyone thinks they know how to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the rest of the companies that you get a lot of advice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd probably say the one, first is maybe getting back to the original part of this podcast. Um, you know, really think about what your role is. And maybe think you can expand it. If you're if you're a B2B marketer that's only focused just on leads, like, hey, like I think I can help, you know, sales close these deals, right? Maybe marketing expands into there. Or hey, I think I can help um our existing customers spend a lot more, right? Expand into that. Like make your role bigger. You're gonna make a bigger impact. That's better for you, better for marketing, better for the customers. Um the other thing I'd say is so that's one just a, you know, different that maybe expand your metrics, right? As opposed to just again, lead your full funnel, or maybe you start to, you know, invest in measuring brand metrics, ADA recall, unaided recall, sentiment, maybe you invest and start measuring PLG metrics, you know, daily active users or product qualified leads, and the impact that marketing can make on that. Uh, the, the, the last thing I'd say too is just, and I think everybody knows this, but you know, AI is really um, going to be, be a huge impact on our space. And I think it's good at a minimum just to understand this, Right. Like, hey, what are the different tools out there? Whether it's Jasper or Lexica or, you know, originality, like yellow.ai. There's a ton of great AI tools out there um, that marketers can use and leverage. And I, I think just just and I know it's like kind of new for some people and others, they've already been diving into this or just use ChatGPT in your in your personal life. But like get a feel for where it can help you and where it can scale. Uh, otherwise, like I feel like, you know, getting back to our original conversation there, you're just going to be you know, market that does the 30 year old playbook. You're just going to be like, Hey, let's run events. Let's do top down sales. Let me send out a press release. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to rip on those. I'm just saying like they have their place, but you want to have new ways to go out and be much more capital efficient in how you grow. And, and I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah. I completely agree with that as well. We got, yeah, there's a lot, lot of the old school tactics. They're not, not bad, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's other ways to do it now and uh, not having to, we shouldn't just be as marketers just ripping off the same playbook over and over again and expecting to get the same results anyway. So, um, no, I totally agree with those. Um, well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us, Bill. It's been, um, it's been really great. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a podcast that's going to episode that's going to help me in my job too. So, um, appreciate that too. Thank you. No worries. No, it's always a pleasure. Love working with uh, other startups and founders and marketers. So it's always a joy to talk. Thank you. Thanks. Great to have you.